Masechet Ketubot, Afsadi Zayin. We're talking about a woman who's widowed and she has a right to two things. Number one, sustenance. She continues to get sustenance from the estate. The orphans have to pay for that. Um, and then eventually she will get the Ketubah payout. Uh, once after she gets the ketuvah payout, then she no longer gets sustenance. So we're asking, Ketzad Mocheret. Now she has a lien on all of the property in the husband's estate uh, for both uh, items. Uh, the lien on the ketuvah is even for items that were sold. Uh, the lien for sustenance are for, is for land that is still in the possession of the estate. So therefore, she has a right to go and sell the land. Uh, she doesn't have to wait for the orphans to go and sell the land. She can go and do it herself because she has a lien. Just she's a part, partial owner. Maybe even she's a primary owner. So the question is, how should she sell the land? You can't sell a tiny piece of land, you know, $10 each day to buy a sandwich. You can't, you can't sell land like that. So we can't have a too little at a time because that's not practical. Um, but you also don't want to send a, sell a huge piece of, piece of land for 10 years uh, time because if she gets remarried, once she gets remarried, then they don't have to pay sustenance for, for, for her. So we, we can't make it too little. We don't want to make it too much. What is the amount that is just right, that would be, be fair, that she's taken care of, she doesn't have to go day to day, but also that it makes sense to sell a piece of land for that amount of time. Uh, so Ravuna says she sells a piece of land that will sustain her with food for one year. But the buyer doesn't pay all at once. The buyer pays every 30 days. So that way, um, uh, so it's a, it's a sizable piece of land. And then every month she receives money and that's, that will sustain her for the entire month. That's fair. Ravida disagrees and says, no, uh, sell a smaller piece of land, uh, just enough that will sustain her for six months. Because, right, who knows what happens after uh, six months, she may get married and won't need it anymore. And, but once again, the seller, the, the buyer of the land, will pay, uh, pay her in monthly installments. We have a Braita that uh, follows Ravi that supports Ravi Huna. That she sells enough land for one year of food, and then the buyer pays her 30 days at a time. That was Ravuna. And there's another Braita that supports Rav Yehuda that says it's six months. So both of them have equal support. Amemar says how the bottom line is like Rav Yehuda, that she has to sell smaller portions at a time, only six months. So Rav Asher tells Amemar, what, what about Rav Huna, who said one year? How, you know, what, what do you think about him, his opinion? He says, I never heard of it. What he meant by never heard of it is, I do not follow it. He heard of it, but he doesn't think that that's the halakha. Halakha is like Rav Yehuda, six months.
Okay, good. Now, um, we're going to ask a general question. Very interesting question. If a woman, um, uh, let's say she's going to be, she sustains herself from the land of the estate for a while, several years. And then at the end, uh, you know, before she's ready to get married or whatever, she's moving out. And uh, then she can go and collect her ketubah in one payment. Now, all the whole time she's been selling land, selling land, uh, every six months, let's say, we'll follow Rav Yehuda. And uh, then uh, until, until she sells, you know, all these 10 pieces of land, maybe that's all the land that's in the estate. But now she wants to come and get the ketubah. Now the orphans say, oh, we have no, 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 no more, nothing left, uh, nothing else left in the estate to pay the ketubah, but thing here is the thing, she has a lien on all the property. So can she go and collect, repossess one of the pieces of land that she herself sold? So there was 10 pieces of land in the estate. She sold them off one by one every six months. And then uh, she says, I want my ketubah. And she goes to the to the buyers that she herself sold it to and says, I know you paid me. I got the cash. I, I, I used it for food. And now I'm repossessing your land to pay the ketuvah. So that doesn't seem very fair to those buyers that she herself is going back on the deal. She, she collects money and, and recollects the land. But maybe it's fair because she does have a lien on the land. And so if the orphans had sold it to pay, right, so then it would make more sense. All right. Coming by Elihu bid Rav Yosef. Tamar Rav Yosef, Armalta de Zaben, Achrayut Ayatme. Obedina de Zaben, Achrayut Ayatme. This question we are, we are asking is within the opinion of Rav Yosef, who says that a widow who sells, where, uh, when she sells um, a field, let's say to pay for her, uh, for her food, then the that that sale is done with a guarantee to the buyers that should someone repossess it, you'll be taken care of. But who's in charge of giving that guarantee? It's the orphans. The orphans have to pay, have to provide title insurance for land that the um, wife, uh, that the widow sells. The reason is because really the orphans, as the holders of the estate, are it's their responsibility to provide this part of the ketubah they have to provide sustenance for the widow um for you know as long as with that would be discussed before as long as she wants as long as they want and so th therefore it's their responsibility now she has a right to go and sell the land but she's not responsible to give title insurance to the land if something goes wrong the orphans have to guarantee it Similarly, if a Bet-Din gets involved, and the Bet-Din, um, as third-party arbitrators, they come and assess it fairly, and they're the ones that sell the land, they also, they can sell it with a guarantee that should it be repossessed, then the buyer doesn't have to worry. But once again, the Bet-Din doesn't pay out of pocket. They don't provide the title insurance, but rather the orphans do. Okay, since the orphans do, even though the wife is the one that sold the land, the guarantee is based on the orphans. So therefore, the wife would go, when she's ready to get her ketuvah, re repossess the land that she herself sold. And then the buyer would have to go to the orphans and say, hey, you guaranteed the sale, and so you have to pay us. Okay, so we're asking within that opinion, what is the answer? Here's the two sides of it. 
uh, is the halacha that uh, the responsibility is upon the orphans. So, uh, so therefore, yes, she can seize the property, right? And she, even though she's the one that sold it to pay for food, now she repossesses it for her ketubah. She has a right to do that. Um, she's not because she she doesn't have to. She's not. She didn't guarantee it herself. Go go to the orphans and they'll they'll pay you back. Or do you say even though? She does not accept upon herself, the wife, when she sells it, she does not accept upon herself uh, responsibility, right? Because it's the orphans. Um, so, yeah, that's true that she will not accept upon herself responsibility should someone else come and claim it. Maybe the, the husband had a creditor he owed money to, right? So that she says, I'm not responsible. I'm selling you this land. I'm not responsible if some third party comes and collects it. But... Her own, but a guarantee against herself? Does she not? Uh, does she not um, take up that upon herself? Surely, right? She if she's selling it and says, you know, don't worry, you'll be paid back. The orphans will pay you back, and if any third party should come, but her, she herself, she should be able to guarantee and say, listen, I'm selling this to you. I'm not gonna repossess it. So do the orphans at least have a right to make sure that she doesn't repossess it herself, um, so that they don't have to pay for it? That's the two sides of the question. Amale. So Rav Sheshat answers, oh, this is in fact a baraita, because it says that the, the wife, the widow, can sell land and keep going, keep selling, until the amount of her ketuvah payment, uh, means she can sell for sustenance, until there's enough left in the estate for her ketuvah payment, and then she can rely on that to collect it from with that left over. So you see from here that she can only collect from what's left over. She cannot collect, re, go back and repossess uh, other land. If there's not enough left over, if she sells, if she depletes the entire estate with, with uh, food payments and she leaves nothing left to her estate, then she won't get paid. So you see from here that she cannot collect from land that she herself sold. Of course, if there was other land that had been, had been sold before, the husband had sold it, she can go after that land, but not the land that she herself sold. She should make sure there's something left in the estate. Okay. Hold on. Maybe in this Braita it says she should leave over uh, enough, uh, enough for her, her, her ketubah, not because she doesn't have a right, to repossess. Maybe she does have a right to repossess, but this is not giving a halacha. It's giving good advice because if she sells land for sustenance and then repossesses it to Perikituvah, people are going to call her a retractor. She, they're going to say she's not a trustworthy person. She makes a deal and she goes back on her deal. She reneges and she doesn't want to get a rep. You don't want to, have, want to have a bad reputation like that. And so therefore, this is good advice. Fine, sell, sell land to sustain yourself, but leave over enough available to collect your ketubah. So it maybe it's just good advice and not a proof. If it was just good advice, then it would just say uh, she can keep selling as, as much as she wants, and then she sell, she buy, she collects her ketubah from what's left over. Why does it have to use these extra words? My semechla, she relies on it. So this is extra emphasis to say, she can rely on that and that only. Uh, to collect her ketuvah. Um, if she doesn't uh, leave anything over, she will not be able to collect her ketuvah. Therefore, she cannot go ahead and repossess land.
All right, now that we've discussed this question regarding a kituvah payment that she sells land, can she go back on the deal basically and keep the money and also repossess the land? Uh, we're going to ask a more general question about sales in general. If someone sells land for a particular purpose, but now they don't need to sell it anymore. They needed cash, but now they don't need cash anymore. Can they go back on the deal? Right, someone really needs money for whatever reason, and so okay, I'm going to sell you this land. And maybe they even say, or it's obvious, that when they sell, they're selling the land, they say, okay, here's the land. You know, I really need this money. I have uh, this emergency came up. Um, but then it turns out that they don't need the money, right? The emergency went away. So is the sale reversed? Because it's like a, kind of like a conditional sale, even, maybe even, even if it's an exp- implicit condition. Or once you decide, I'm going to sell you the land, that's it. You have to keep your word, even if the reason why you were going to sell it doesn't apply anymore. That's the question. Here's the answer. Tashima. There was some guy who sold some land to Papa because he wanted, he needed to go buy some oxen to work on the land. This was investment. He needed the cash. Uh, in the end, he didn't need the money. Whatever reason, I don't know, the, the business uh, uh, business deal changed. And so he didn't need the money. So he goes to the papa. This is, I'll say, I only sold you the land because I need the money for oxen, but now I don't need it. So the papa gave him back the land and, um, uh, and took back the money and he agreed to go back on the deal. So isn't that a proof that Yes, you can go back on a on a deal if the reason why you sold the land doesn't apply anymore. Then you can you have a right to go and um, renege on the deal. Isn't that a good proof? No, not necessarily. Maybe the papa had a right legally to keep the land, but he's a nice person, and so he went above and beyond the letter of the law and said, "Oh, you feel bad about it? Okay, no problem. I'll I'll give you back the land." Since you don't need the money to buy oxen anymore, but there's no proof from it of Papa, who was uh, a great pious person, that this is the, in fact, the letter of the law. Tashima, next proof. One time, there was a major drought in the Harada. Everybody sold their homes in order to go and buy wheat because drought, there was nothing, nothing growing. And they have to they have to uh, eat, so they sold their homes. Lesof In the end, wheat came, and so oh, they didn't need to sell the homes anymore. So now all the sellers wanted to get their homes back because there was plenty of wheat. They didn't need the cash. ruled that yes, all the buyers have to return the homes to the sellers to the the the, the original owners, and uh, because they don't they don't need the money for wheat anymore. So so this would be a proof that yes, in fact, if you will make a sale and that in order to raise cash for something, but then you don't end up needing the cash for that, then you can go and renege on the sale. Isn't that a good proof? And the Gemara says, no, not necessarily. In that case, at the very time of the sale, there had been a boat already in the in the harbor and so uh since at the very time of sale the, there was food there it's not a future event that changes uh, what what the uh changes what happened before at the time of the sale oh now i don't need it anymore at the time of the sale i need it but now i don't need it anymore there that's something changed but here at the very time of the sale this was a mistaken sale i would never have sold it 
if I knew that there was a boat right in the harbor full of wheat. And therefore, um, since at the a very initial stage of the sale, it was a mistake. So therefore, I'm not actually reneging on it. The sale should never have been valid in the first place. So yes, if the circumstances, I just didn't know that the circumstances were such. I thought I needed the money, but even at, the, at that time, I didn't need the money. Then I can renege on the sale because actually the sale was done in error. But if something changes afterwards, like I was going to buy oxen and then turns out that there are no oxen or I won the lottery after and so I don't need the cash. Uh, in that case, if something changes after the sale, I cannot renege on it. Um, so that's what it would seem. Um, uh, but we challenge this itself. We say, even in this case, are you really would you allow uh, people to renege even in a case where there was false circumstances that, that the seller didn't know about it? Um, uh, we, could, we would apply to this, uh, this case where you're allowing it because of a mistaken transaction. We would apply the following conversation between Rami Bar Shemuel and Rav Nachman, who Rami Bar Shemuel said, If you're going to allow the owners of the mansions to come and say, oh, we, 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 we changed our mind, we want our, we want our money back, we want our land, our homes back, because it turns out there is a, a ship. Well, then in the future, you're going to have a problem of, of, of anyone selling something anytime, because if people, the buyers know, okay, I'm going to buy this thing, I'm going to go through all this trouble, I'm going to get a mortgage, raise the money and all that, and then anytime someone can come and say, oh, I didn't, I didn't have to sell it anymore. Uh, then, then people, no one's going to ever want, want to buy it, and then you're going to ruin the whole real estate market, right? What's a sale is a sale. That was that's what Rami, Rami Bashimuel said. But Rav Nachman answered back, What, are, are um, droughts so common that this happens once in a while, once in a blue moon, there's a drought. So then we say under those circumstances, if uh, the circumstances of the drought clear up immediately, so then take your land back. But it's not going to hurt the real estate market. There's not, right, this doesn't happen often. And he says in response, In fact, there are many droughts in they happen all the time, and so this is going to happen all the time. People are going to panic. Oh, there's no food. They're going to sell their houses, but it's going to turn out someone will come along with food, and then they're going to try to get their homes back, and then you're going to ruin the real estate market. So you know what? You really should not allow anyone to renege, even under such circumstances as a drought. All right. In the end, even though we just said this concern, nevertheless, the halacha bottom line is that if someone sold property for a certain to raise money for a certain thing and they don't need that thing anymore, they can go back and renege on the sale. Next Mishnah. Now, when the widow goes and sells, um, it would be better for the orphan, certainly, for her to have to go to Betin and sell it. Because Betin will give a fair assessment, make sure that it's getting the highest market price available and the orphans aren't being cheated. But the widow doesn't want to have to go through that whole process. It's a pain. And so she would rather just sell it and, and um, you know, she'll try to get the best price possible. Um, but uh, she, it's a whole process to have to go to Betin. There's a lot of delays. She's got to wait online and she has to ask her a million questions. And so she would rather do without a Betin. So what's the halacha? The answer is that if, for a widow, we'll, we'll talk about divorcee soon, uh, for a widow, whether she was only engaged and then the, her uh, fiancé died or they were married and he died and now she needs sustenance, 
She needs it right. Uh, well, we'll talk about that. She now she needs sustenance. She can sell the land on her own without a betin. Okay, so we uh, will see why. Now, Rabbi Shimon Omer, Mina Nisuin Mocheret Shelobetin, Mena Erusin, Lotim Kod Ella Bebetin, Mepne She'en La Mezonot. Rabbi Shimon says no, as, as a distinction. Um, if they were married, then she can go and sell it immediately without a betin. Uh, the reason is because she, uh, she depends on the sustenance of the estate for her food. She can't wait several weeks or months till the betin gets around to her case. She has to sell right away to eat. But if she was only engaged, she's still living in her father's home. She's not yet relying on her husband to feed her. And so, uh, therefore, she should then do the, 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 the better option, better for the orphans, and go to Betin. So the Betin will ensure that she gets the highest price for the land and um, uh, because she does not get sustenance from it so she can wait. And now to be Shimon adds, In any case, not only Edusin, but any other case where she is not getting sustenance, she cannot. She she must sell it in Betin because she's not in a time hurry. All right, the Gemara will talk about what case this is adding. Right, it looks like it could be adding a case of a divorcee because once uh, someone is divorced, they don't get sustenance anymore. Uh, so um, maybe it's talking about that, that she would also have to uh, go to Betin to sell uh, the land to pay her ketubah. All right, now we're going to say, Bishlam Amina Nisuin, a question on Tanakhama. We understand why when uh, she is uh, widowed after marriage, she can sell it on her own, on own, because she needs food. But if she was only engaged and she's selling the land, not for Mizonot, but to pay her ketuvah, uh, so she can wait. She's being fed. She's still living in her father's house. Why does uh, Tanakama say that she can sell it without betin? Amar Ula Mishum Hina. We have two answers. Ula says because of desirability. Um, she wants to get remarried, uh, hopefully soon. And if she has the kituvah payout, then she has some, some wealth, and that will make her more desirable to male suitors. And so we want to do that. We want to give her that benefit, right? Poor girl. She thought she was going to marry this guy. He died in a sudden accident, uh, and now she wants to get remarried. So we don't want to make her wait many months till she can collect she should have it and be more desirable. is different reason because the, uh, no husband wants his wife to be disgraced by having to go to court. Right? It's a pain, waiting online, asking a million questions, checking, not trusting her, all that. And so the husband would say, listen, I, before, if you would ask him before he died, right, should you die, would you, are you okay with your wife selling land without a betting? And, and uh, she'll, we're going to trust her that she's going to get a good price for it. He would say, for sure, I don't want my wife to have to go to betting. Even if he dies, he still uh, cares for his wife. And so that's why it doesn't matter from Kiddushin or from Nisuin, a man loves his wife and she shouldn't have to go through the trouble of Betin. Okay, so that's Biochanan's opinion. Now, my Benayahu will be a practical case where there will be a different outcome based on these two reasons. Ika Benayahu Gerusha, what if she's divorced? 
According to the opinion, Ula's opinion, that says we want her to be desirable. Uh, if she is divorced, she also requires desirability. She wants to get remarried. She went through uh, this divorce and... You know, divorce can also uh, have, may have a stigma, and uh, she's not she's going to be less desirable to people now that she's divorced. So we want her to be able to collect her ketubah, so she'll have some wealth, and therefore she'll be more desirable and help her to get remarried. And we don't want to have to have to delay her her collecting that. So that then, even according to for Ola, it doesn't matter if she's a widow or divorcee; she will collect in bet without betin either way. But according to Rabbi Yochanan's opinion that says, a husband says, I love my wife and I don't want to be, to be disgraced by having to go to court. So therefore, if she's widowed, then she should be able to sell it on her own. That's only true if she's widowed. But if they're divorced, usually... Uh, they hate each other, and so the husband says, "Let her be disgraced in in court, right? Let her have to ha- uh, wait all that time and uh, and uh, uh, um, uh, disgrace herself by having to uh, go through the court process." Since they're divorced, it doesn't care, and therefore, if they're divorced, she would have to go to Betin in order to sell land to pay her ketubah. All right. Now, Tenan, Ugrusha Lotim Kor Ela Bebetin. Now we're going to ask a, a question, a couple, a few questions against Ula. One is from the Mishnah that's coming up uh, soon at, on the bottom of this very page. It says, A divorcee has to sell land in Betin. If she wants to collect her ketubah, she has a right to sell land. She still has a lien on the husband's land. The husband, let's say, is alive. And she has a lead on it, she can go and sell it, um, but she has to go to Betin. Now, why would this be? We understand this according to the Biochanan, that the reason why for a widow uh, the, she can sell without a Betin is because a husband would not want his wife to have to be disgraced to go to Betin. But for a divorcee, the husband doesn't care if she's gets disgraced and goes to Betin. So therefore, a divorcee has to go to Betin. We understand the next Mishnah here. But according to Ula, that we talk about desirability, a divorcee also requires more desirability, um, even more than, than, the, than the widow. And so we should also be, be nice to her and uh, not require her to go to, to Betin and wait all that time. She wants to be desirable and marry as soon as possible. So how could how could uh, Ula explain the next Mishnah? And the answer is Hamaneh. The next Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon, he is a continuation of the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. Right? Rabbi Shimon was the second opinion here in our Mishnah, and so the next Mishnah is also his opinion. He's the one that said that only after Nisuin um, uh, she does not uh, she can sell it without Betin but after Edusin she has to she has to go to Betin the reason here is because if, after Edusin she's not getting sustenance she's only collecting a ketubah so you, can, you have enough food you have food from elsewhere and so there's no rush and that would apply to a divorcee also a divorcee does not get sustenance from her husband anymore she's only there to pick up uh, to collect her ketubah and just like an Arusa will wait, so to a Gerusha will wait.
And so, um, uh, according to Ula, he can explain that next Mishnah as being the opinion of the Bishimon. But we ask, Hold on, if the Sefa, the next Mishnah, is the Bishimon, but we already know that from the Mishnah we just read. Since the Bishimon says, uh, someone who's a widow from betrothal, she has to sell it in court because she's receiving no sustenance. We can figure out ourselves that that same thing applies to a divorcee who also does not receive sustenance. You don't need another Mishnah to tell me that. No, I have an answer why I do need to tell, to, to, need to say this law regarding divorcee also. I might have thought that a widow from uh, after betrothal, um, she does not require a lot of extra desirability. She's still a bit tula, right? She's obviously marriageable because this guy wanted to marry her, but he got into an accident and he died. But she's still she's still man she's still um, uh, marriageable, and therefore she we, uh, to get her ketubah, she has to go through the court process to be the most fair, and she can wait. But I might have thought that a gerusha divorcee, she needs a lot more desirability because she's a, a divorcee. It's just it might be harder for her to find a man that will marry her, and so I might have thought that for her she can sell without bit without a betin, so she can get the money of the kitubah right away, so she can be wealthier and therefore be more desirable. So I might have thought that we would allow her. That's why I need the next mishnah that even according to the bishimon. The uh, 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 both uh, uh, a widow after betrothal and a divorcee, uh, both have to go to Betin to sell. Then we give it further asks, wait a second, but this halacha also we already know from our Mishnah, the previous one, because remember the Mishnah ended, the Bishimon added another line. It says, anyone who doesn't receive sustenance has to go to Bedin. So why, what are you adding, right? You already told me the Arusa, she doesn't receive sustenance. Lavla tuye girusha, doesn't that line add a divorcee? She doesn't receive sustenance, so she, and she cannot go to Bedin. So I already know that from our Mishnah, I don't need the next Mishnah to tell that to me again. And we answer, la la tuya me goreshet, me goreshet, ke No, that last line, koshen amezonot, it was coming to include a woman who is of uncertain divorce. Uh, the man, let's say, threw her a divorce document and it landed somewhere between them. If it's closer to her, she's divorced. If it's closer to him, she's not divorced. They didn't calculate exactly. She's not sure if she's divorced or not. So this, she's in a tough position because she can't go and remarry anybody while she is in that uh, limbo state. Because she cannot go remarry anybody else. So the rabbi said that uh, the husband is required to give her sustenance, even though they may be divorced, but maybe they're not divorced. So the husband, until they can clarify what happened um, or give another divorce, the, he has to provide sustenance to her. So that is a case where she does get sustenance, and therefore she would be able to sell land land without betin. And so that was that last line uh, that only someone who doesn't get mizonot 
need uh, uh, to, has to sell in Betin. Um, and, but someone who's half-half and may, she's not sure if she's divorced or not because she does get sustenance, she can sell without Betin. Okay, so we figured all that out and Ula answered that question. Last challenge to Ula, who said because of Achina, Tashema, Keshem She Mochedet Shelo Bebetin, Kach Yorshea, Yorshe Kitubata, Mochrin Shelo Bebetin. So this Baraita says that just like a widow uh, sells not in court, right? She can sell it on her own. Also, if she dies and her heirs then have, they have the right to collect the Kituba. Um, uh, that means that would be her uh, children uh, from a previous marriage, or if she doesn't have sons, her daughters, or if she doesn't have any children, it would be her family, her father, her sibling. Um, they uh, would also uh, have a right to collect the kituvah from leaned land, and they can sell it. They could sell it without betin. Now let's analyze this. According to the Biochanan, who said the reason why she can sell without betin uh, is because a husband does not want his wife to have to be disgraced by going to betin. So he would apply the same thing, just like he doesn't want his wife to be disgraced. He wouldn't want his wife's family members to have to be disgraced and bothered to go to Betin. So the husband, if you asked him if were he alive, he would be okay with that. Um, but if you say it's because of desirability, so these uh, orphans, what does what, what need of desirability do they have? Uh, we understand that the widow, she wants to get remarried, so this wealth will help her be more desirable. But if she has a, a son, and so the son, what he doesn't need desirability for marriageability. Uh, this concept applies to women. Uh, so the answer is so for example let's say she has no sons but rather a daughter or a sister who's going to be inheriting and so the idea is that women have a harder time uh, finding a mate and therefore they need uh, this uh, extra money to be more desirable and so this can apply even not to her it can apply to her um, inheritors in any of these cases all right, and now last Mishnah. Machra ketubata omiksata, mishkena ketubata omiksata, natena ketubata leacher omiksata, lotim kor et hashe'ar ela bebetin. So even though we said earlier that uh, uh, an, uh, a, a, a widow can sell the sell land to pay her ketubah without betin, that's true if she's selling it, uh, she's selling land to pay her ketubah all at once. But, if she sold the rights to her ketubah uh, already, or part part of it, or she mortgaged the ketubah, she lent, borrowed money with using her ketubah as a um, as uh, a guarantee uh, in all or in part, or if she gave as a gift her ketubah to someone else all or in part, then she cannot sell land as uh, to collect except in betin. 
the Gemara is going to explain that this the Tanakhama here, this part of this Mishnah, is in fact the Bishimon, who what we just saw says that uh, a woman can collect a f- sustenance without a betin, um, but then once she receives the lump, one lump uh, payment for that to get the payment of the ketubah, she has to go to betin, and she can continue to receive sustenance until uh, she collects her ketubah. Then she doesn't deserve sustenance anymore. So this woman, although she did not receive one lump sum payment for her ketubah, it's kind of as if she did, because after all, she sold the right to her ketubah, so she received money for her ketubah, um, or she took a loan on it, or she gave away her ketubah as a gift. So it's basically as if she already collected her ketubah, and so therefore no longer deserves sustenance. If she's no longer getting sustenance, then she cannot sell anything without a betin. She has to go to betin. In addition to that, we learn from that according to this opinion, it's not only the full amount of the ketubah, but even part, uh, part, uh, uh, a partial payment of the ketubah is already enough to say you're out of, um, you're out of the um, category of receiving sustenance. As long as you received even just one dollar from the ketubah payment, and that's it. You're the, pay- the payment already started, so you can't receive full sustenance. And so that sustenance stops, and that's why she can no longer sell without betin. That is Tanakama here. She can sell even four or five times, meaning she can sell a part here, a part there, and I'm collecting this part uh, for my mizonot. Even if she receives partial payment for her ketubah, that's it. She can keep on selling outside of betin until she gets the full ketubah payment. Um, and she should um, or must write that uh, we saw should. We saw what this already was explained yesterday that it's a good advice for her to write that this is for mizonot. When she sells the land, if she's using it for sustenance, she should say so so that uh, the orphans don't come and claim, oh, you already see, received your ketuvah payout. That's it. We're done with you. Right? So she, no, no, this is not my ketuvah payout. If she's using it for sustenance, um, she should be able to prove that that is so. And so that way she can keep collecting until the last dollar of the ketuvah is paid. She can continue selling uh, without a betin. So that's a fundamental difference between Tanakhama and Chachamim. And the last line, which we discussed already, Ugrusha Lotimkot Ella Bebetin, a divorcee, because she does not get sustenance, so she can wait. So she sells not in a betin. And that would be the opinion of also of Rabbi Shimon. So we ask the Tanakhama here. He must be this is in the following Baraita, who says talks about partial uh, payment of the ketubah. The Tanya, Machra ketubata, Mishkena ketubata, Asta ketubata, Potiki leacher, En la mezonot ibred bi meir. If a woman sells the right to collect a ketubah, so she got money, right? It's, it's like cashing out, uh, or if she mortgaged it, or used it used it as a repayment for something else, like uh, you know, she gave the ketubah to repay a loan that she had. Um, she does not, she can no longer collect um, collect sustenance because 
she got her payout, although it was indirectly, not directly from the orphans, but it's the same thing, according to the Bimeir, but that's only if she got the full payout. Bishimon says not only if she sold or mortgaged the entire amount of the ketubah, even if uh, only a part of it, only half of it. I said a dollar before, okay, maybe half. Uh, then she already lost her kit or, or lost her right to collect mezonot. So we see the Bishimon who says partial payment already gets her out of the category of receiving sustenance. He is Tanakama here, also emphasized Miksata, that she can no longer receive sustenance. Now, Lememra, the Rabbi Shimon Sabar, the law Amrinan Miksat Kesef Kechol Kesef, but Abanan Sabrem Amrinan Miksat Kesef Kechol Kesef. It seems that the principle behind Rabbi Shimon's opinion here is that we do not say that partial money is like all the money, right? A partial payment here, um, because she received part of the payment of the marriage contract, it's as if she has nothing else to collect. That's it. Her ketubah payment is finished, and so she's out of the category. She cannot receive mizonot. Whereas, according to the rabbis, they would say that uh, receiving part of the payment, it doesn't matter. It's still it's, if she owes, if she's owed part part of the payment, it's like she still is owed the entire amount of money until she's paid in full. She's not paid. Whereas according to the Bishimon, if she's owed, uh, we uh, owed part of the money. It's not like she is owed all of the money. It's like she's already paid. Okay, so that would be, seem to be the principle behind the machloket between the Bishimon and uh, the Bimeir or Chachamim here. But the question is, we have the following Braita from a different um, a different set of halachot altogether, where it would seem the principle behind these two halachot would be in opposition. Regarding a Kohen Gadol, she he has to marry a Betula. Now, what, what a Betula meaning she has full Betulim. According to the Bimeir, she can't be an adult because an adult, her Betulim diminish. And so she doesn't have full Betulim. So we see, according to the Bimeir, um, we have a principle that the part is not like the whole, right? If she's missing a part of the bitulim because they are diminished, then it's not whole anymore. But that's what Abishimon says uh, up here, that a part is not like the whole. Whereas, they said a Kohen Gadol can marry a Bogeret. And they would say that even though she is, it's diminished and she's lacking part of the Betulim, it's still like the whole thing is there. So they're saying Miksat is like all. And that, the Bishimon here, is like Rabbanan. So the basic principle behind what they say regarding the um, uh, Ketuvah payout is the opposite of the base, same basic principle as applied to a Kohen Gadol and Betulim. So how can we explain it? And the answer is hatam On the case of bitulim, they're not are This is not based on the principle of is is part like all or not. That only applies to 
the um, the ketuvah. The principle behind this machloket is exegetical. They have different ways of reading the pasuk that the man, the kohen gadol, has to marry isha bibtuleha. Notice this word. It could have just said bitula, but it has two extra as an extra prefix bibtuleha and extra suffix leha. So we're going to learn an extra halacha from the word itself. The prefix and the suffix, but they do it in two ways. Rebi Meir, he's the one, remember, that says that a Kohen Gadol cannot marry a Bogedet once she's an adult. She's not a full Betula anymore because he says the word Betula, Afilu Mixat Betulim. The word Betula by itself, if I only had that word, I would say Kohen Gadol can marry someone even if he, she only has. Uh, standard betulim, even if she's a uh, bogeret. But betuleha adika kolhu betulim. From the suffix, uh, from the suffix, we add that she has to be full betulim, meaning that she has to be still young. Bibtuleha, and the prefix says bekedarkain shelokedarka la. That uh, she is considered a um a a a, a, a betula. Um, as long as she did not have relations in a regular way, but in uh, relations in an unnatural way is not considered breaking of the betulim. And so Rabimi is actually lenient in that sense that even if she had atypical relations, she is still a betula. That is Rabimeir. He starts with the opposite assumption that the word betula by itself would mean that it has to be full, uh, full, full betulim. Betuleha betulim. The extra suffix says even if it's only partial, which is which means that even if she's a bogeret, the Bishimon says that's fine. Even if they are diminished betulim, it's still okay. The bibtuleha, the extra prefix comes to include who called betuleha kamin ben bekedarka ben shelokedarka that she has to need she requires in this sense all of a betulim and the betulim can uh, are, are nullified whether she had relations in a regular way or in an unnatural way either of those will make her invalid for to marrying a kohen gadol uh, so they actually have uh, opposing opinions uh, both regarding whether she can marry a bogeret or not and regard when whether regarding uh, whether uh, invalidate her. So this machloket has is based on how they read these how they read this pasuk and has nothing to do with the principle behind the previous pasuk. And so we established that in fact Rabbi Shimon is the author of the uh, is the Tanakama of that Mishnah. Baruch Adonai Amen